0: Hey there, We the People listeners. This is Nakhondra Yanaci, your producer. We are collecting questions once again for another episode of Ask Jeff. So go to blog.constitutioncenter.org and send us your questions about the Constitution, about the Supreme Court, about the very interesting presidential campaign. Um, please send them to us by Sunday, May 22nd. That's Sunday, May 22nd. And we will record and publish a show that week. Uh, So again, go to blog.constitutioncenter.org. Send Jeff your questions. We look forward to hearing from you.
1: I'm Jeffrey Rosen, President and CEO of the National Constitution Center. And welcome to We the People, a weekly show of constitutional debate. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America chartered by Congress to disseminate information about the U.S. Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. And on today's show, we take a look at the public debate over one of the most hotly contested legal issues confronting America at the moment, and that involves bathroom use for transgender Americans. On April 19th, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit ruled in favor of Gavin Grimm, a 16-year-old transgender student in Virginia who argued that Title IX, which prohibits gender discrimination in any educational program that receives federal funding, requires that he be allowed to use the boys' restroom at school. The Fourth Circuit decision also applies to North Carolina, where a recently enacted law limits transgender people to bathrooms in government buildings, including public school, that correspond to their sex at birth. Joining me to discuss the Grimm case and the broader debate over bathroom laws and transgender rights are two of America's leading attorneys on the front lines of this issue. Joshua Block is a senior staff attorney with the American Civil Liberties Unions, LGBT and AIDS Project. Josh and the ACLU represent Gavin Grimm. Josh argued the Grimm case at the Fourth Circuit. And Matthew Sharp is legal counsel at the Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF has drafted model legislation and school policies regulating bathroom use that are similar to the ones being challenged in the Grimm case. Josh, Matt, thank you so much for being here.
2: Thanks for having me. Thanks for, yes, thanks for
1: having us. Wonderful, well Josh, you represented Gavin Grimm, a transgender boy and plaintiff in the case. Tell us uh, how the case came about and how did the Fourth Circuit rule?
0: Sure, first I'll tell you a little bit about uh, who Gavin is. Gavin is a 16 year old transgender boy in Gloucester, Virginia. Um, He's a transgender boy, which means that his sex assigned at birth was female, but his gender identity is male, and he lives in accordance with that male gender identity in all aspects of his life. He's undergoing hormone therapy in accordance with standards of care for treating gender dysphoria. He's legally changed his name to a male name. His state ID card from the state of Virginia identifies him as male. And in every context outside of school, like shopping malls or stores or restaurants, He uses the boy's restroom, just like any other boy does. This case started uh, shortly after Gavin began his sophomore year of high school, um, shortly after he uh, began his treatment uh, for gender dysphoria and told uh, the school administration that he was a transgender boy. Um, For seven weeks, Gavin was able to use the boy's restroom and there was no uh, physical confrontation or incident. Um, at all during that time period. But what did happen during that time period is some parents complained to the school board about him using the boys' room. And our understanding is that there were complaints from church groups or community members that weren't even affiliated with the school who also complained. Um, In response to those complaints, the school board passed a policy um, in which they said that restroom access would be limited uh, based on people's, uh, quote, biological gender, unquote, and that anyone with, quote, gender identity issues, unquote, um, would be using a separate private uh, facility um, if they couldn't use the facility based on their sex assigned at birth. Um, Gavin um, got in touch with us about halfway through this uh, school board process. There were actually two school board meetings. In the first one, he stood up there all by himself uh, while adults referred to him as a young lady, talked about uh, people pretending to be girls to get into women's showers. Um, And at one of the school board meetings, someone compared him to a dog that likes to urinate on fire hydrants. Um, So on Gavin's behalf, uh, we filed a lawsuit uh, saying that the policy violates uh, Title IX, which is a law that prohibits sex discrimination in schools, and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. As for what the Fourth Circuit held, the Fourth Circuit ruled um, on the the part of the claim under Title IX. Uh, The district court had dismissed the Title IX claim, saying that we hadn't stated a claim on which relief could be granted, and the Fourth Circuit reversed um, that dismissal. And the Fourth Circuit explained that Title IX is structured as a statute that prohibits all forms of sex discrimination unless there's a specific exception um, in the statute or in the regulations authorizing a form of sex classification to take place. So for example, there's exceptions that allow schools to have separate classrooms under certain circumstances, to have separate sports teams under certain circumstances, and there's an exception in the regulations that say schools can have separate restrooms for boys and girls. Um, The district court thought that because of that exception in the regulation, schools have carte blanche to say that transgender boys and girls can't use restrooms consistent with their gender identity and are limited to restrooms based on their sex assigned at birth, which in practice means they can't use the same restroom as other kids at all. And what the Fourth Circuit said is that Instead of dismissing the claim, the district court should have deferred to the expert interpretation of the Department of Education. And what the Department of Education has said is that the regulation allows schools to have separate restrooms for boys and girls, but it doesn't answer whether a transgender boy like Gavin uh, should be using the restroom that corresponds with his gender identity or the restroom that corresponds with his sex assigned at birth. And what the reasoning comes down to this. If you have a boy like Gavin who has facial hair, is on hormones and a male ID card, it's not at all clear uh, from the face of the regulation whether that person should be using the boy's room, uh, which is uh, consistent with how he appears and lives, or should be using a restroom based on um, the, the sex was assigned to him when he was born. And the court said, because there's not a clear, unambiguous answer to that question, the courts have to defer to the interpretation of the Department of Education. And that that's basically the court's reasoning uh, summed up.
1: Thank you so much for that statement of the facts and statement of the court's reasoning. Uh, Matt, I'd like you to respond first. Do you have anything to add or uh, uh, Modified to uh, Josh's statement of the facts. And then let's hone in on this legal question that uh, Josh has identified. Title IX uh, explicitly does allow for uh, different sex bathrooms. Uh, a regulation says a recipient may provide separate toilet, locker room, and shower facilities on the basis of sex. But there was this implementing regulation in 2015 that says that Uh, students uh, should be uh, treated on the basis of their gender identity. And much of the case seems to come down to that uh, uh, 2015 ruling. So uh, tell us what you think about uh, the Fourth Circuit's legal conclusion.
2: Sure. Well, just to back up with the facts a little bit, um, the one thing I would add is after the school district initially allowed Gavin to begin using the male restrooms, um, there was a lot of students and parents that expressed concerns over this. Now, they weren't telling Gavin that he couldn't dress like a male and, and present as a male and things like that, but rather saying, look, we have privacy concerns about this, that our, our society, our courts, everything has long recognized that there's a right to bodily privacy. And as students and parents, we're concerned that that right to privacy is being violated by the school's decision. So the board took a very thoughtful approach and said, all right, let's see how we can balance all of this. When it comes to our communal restrooms, let's continue to maintain them on the basis of biological sex, as Title IX allows, as the regulations allow, and our society has always done. But let's offer an accommodation to Gavin and any other student that is not comfortable using communal restrooms. We'll give them the option of using the restroom of their biological sex or using one of the several single-stall restrooms that the school district made available. And so this was a very compassionate compromise that sought to balance the privacy concerns of everyone involved and, and ultimately ensured that Gavin and all of the other students had private places where their dignity, their privacy would be respected, where they can use the bathroom, change, do whatever they need to. Uh, and so that's really what this case boiled down to is a school district that was willing to work with Gavin and offer accommodations and, and everything possible. Um, but that was insufficient to the efforts to say that that's not enough. You've got to allow students to use the bathroom of the gender they identify with, of the gender of the opposite sex, regardless of the privacy concerns of the other students involved. So going to the the Fourth Circuit decision and and something you just mentioned, Jeff, about a, a 2015 implementing regulation, and I think that's where a lot of the confusion is: is that there is no regulation that's involved in all of this. Title IX and the implementing regulations that were passed around 1975, a few years after Title IX, uh, and as Josh referenced, were very clear that this was always designed to prevent discrimination on the basis of sex, and sex was widely understood by dictionaries, by the congressmen and senators involved in this to refer to biological sex, male versus female. But it was around 2014-2015 that the Department of Education not going through the regulatory process, not going through notice and comment rulemaking or any other appropriate procedure, but just unilaterally starts issuing letters and and non-binding guidance documents where they say, we reinterpret what the definition of sex under Title IX means, and it no longer means biological sex, but rather it also includes a student's gender identity. And so therefore, if you don't treat a student consistent with their gender identity, you're now violating Title IX. And subject to loss of your federal funding and all of these things, and so this was not an implementing regulation. It's not a rule. It's not anything. It was a interpretation, a reinterpretation of the essential terms of Title IX, the definition of sex, by a Department of Education bureaucrats. Um, and so that is why the lower court and even in the dissent basically said, "Look, all you've got is some government bureaucrats that have." written down their opinion. This is not binding. This is not the right process. There is no regulation or rule for any school district to be subjected to in all of this. And and so I think that's really what this boils down to is that you've got a Department of Education that has exceeded its authority and is forcing this on schools and in doing so violating well-established constitutional rights of privacy.
1: Great. Okay, this really joins the issue very well. Uh, Josh, Matt says that this um, 2015 memo, and he uh, properly corrected me, noting it's not a regulation, which um, says that a school generally must treat transgender students consistent with their gender identity is inconsistent with the text and implementing regulations of Title IX itself, which clearly allows separate uh, restrooms. And as uh, uh, Matt said, the dissenting Judge, Judge Neumeyer on the Fourth Circuit said that this interpretation would completely undermine both the structure of Title IX, as well as prohibiting uh, sex segregation of locker rooms or any other kind of sex segregation at all. Uh, what was, uh, what's your response?
0: Well, I think that, uh, you know, there are many things um, I, I would take issue with, with um, that series of arguments. The first is this idea that, um, that uh, Matt's talking about when he says biological sex. You know, as an initial matter, You know, the EPA doesn't use the term biological sex to describe um, uh, sex assigned at birth as contrasted with gender identity because actually evidence shows that gender identity um, has biological roots and is just as much determined by neurobiology as by anything else. So biological sex and gender identity are not different things. Um, Your gender identity um, is, you know, as much a part of your sex as anything else. Um, but more fundamentally, this idea that the plain text of Title IX and the word sex um, refers to uh, w- what, what Matt calls biological sex, you know, that is belied by the dictionary de- definitions at the time, which include behavioral um, uh, characteristics within the definition of sex, and it's belied by Decades and decades of Supreme Court cases interpreting what sex discrimination means. For example, uh, Price Waterhouse versus Cooper, excuse me, Hopkins versus Price Waterhouse, um, was a case where a woman was denied a promotion because she was acting too macho in the, the uh, in the minds of the firm partnership. They said you have to um, learn how to walk more femininely, talk more femininely, take a course in charm school, get makeup done, and have your hair styled. And the employers in that case said, we're not discriminating based on sex. We're happy to hire and promote any woman. Uh, our problem is that you're not being the right kind of woman. You're not fitting our model of what a woman should be. Um, and the Supreme Court said that that's sex discrimination. Um, in light of Price Waterhouse and many other cases, Five different circuits have held that when someone discriminates against a transgender person, um, they are discriminating based on sex. They're discriminating because that person doesn't conform uh, to expectations about um, what a person's sex should be. And they're literally discriminating based on sex. You cannot, dis- you cannot treat someone differently because they're transgender without making a judgment about what their sex is. Now, in terms of um, how the regulation works, the regulation says that the simple fact of having separate restrooms on the basis of sex, it doesn't say anything about biological sex, doesn't violate Title IX. And I think Matt's right, that that is based in part on social customs, um, you know, regarding um, people's uh, mores about using sex segregated spaces. But I think many, many, many people would be far more uncomfortable with Gavin walking into uh the girls locker room um than than they would be having him walk into the boys' locker room or, or a restroom. You know, I, I think the the school uh takes the position that a transgender boy should be using the girls' room. The Department of Education says that a transgender boy should be using the boys' room. I think People can disagree about which of those um, you know, answers is better, but it's not like putting a transgender boy in the girls' room is somehow more sex-segregated than, um, than, than allowing him to use the same restrooms as other boys. And one thing about privacy, you, you know, under the school's policy, uh, they have these separate restrooms now that are available for any student. Anyone who is uncomfortable using a restroom with a transgender student or any other student for any reason has the option to use a separate restroom for their own privacy. No one is forced to use a restroom in which they are uncomfortable. But what you can't do is force a transgender student out of the restrooms that everyone else uses because some people object to his presence. And I think... A really, really important part of the Fourth Circuit's decision is um, when the majority opinion notes that um, the same type of argument uh, for excluding transgender people has in the past been made for excluding gay people from the restrooms and the showers. Uh, been pl- there have i am sure there are people that would prefer not to uh, know that someone who's gay is in the same restroom or in the same locker room as them. but we don't respond to that discomfort by excluding gay students um, from the facilities that everyone else uses. Um, So these privacy objections um, really point to, uh, I guess, let me rephrase that. There's a right way and a wrong way to deal with privacy concerns. And the right way is to um, allow anyone for their own privacy or for their own sense of privacy to use a separate facility if they want to. Uh, But you can't, force people out of the common facilities because you object to them being there.
1: Great. Uh, well, uh, Matt, Josh made a bunch of uh, points and let's uh, s- split them up and, and take them each in turn so you can go back and forth about them. On the privacy point, uh, uh, Josh just said, uh, Judge Niemeyer and others are wrong to be concerned about protecting uh, gender privacy. Anyone who has privacy concerns can use the uh, private restroom. What is your response to, to that?
2: Well, I think a couple of responses. Number one is this, this privacy right is, is so well established. Um, even in the Fourth Circuit, it's, it's come up in the context of prisoners. And so you've had situations where female guards were assigned to patrol near the shower, restroom areas of convicted felons. And those felons filed federal lawsuits saying this violates our right to privacy. And they largely won. And the court said you don't forfeit your right to privacy just because you committed a crime. And so I look at that and say, all right. so you've got this well-established principle that the presence of someone of the opposite biological sex in these private settings violates that right. So you put that in the school context and so you're dealing with locker rooms and showers and restrooms um, and that would clearly dictate that when it comes to students, when it comes to anyone really, but especially students, that they've got that right to privacy and that right is violated by the presence of someone of the opposite sex. And sex is not just gender identity, as Josh was pushing on, but if you look back at what Title IX and what the dictionaries back then referred to, it was largely based upon those biological, anatomical differences that justified that, that there are modesty implications when it comes to students undressing in the presence of other students, or being partially undressed when using the restroom or changing and things like that. And it was always those considerations, those anatomical, biological differences that justified saying we need to maintain separate facilities for boys and for girls when this come up, when these private facilities are involved. And so I think what the the, the dissent and, and all of the other precedents in all of this have pointed to is the right is the fact that we've got a duty to protect that privacy right. Schools have a duty to protect it. Now, as to the concern of, well, the objecting students can use one of the accommodations one of the single stall restrooms available I think as a practical matter that doesn't work out you've got you know dozens and dozens if not hundreds of hundreds of students that prefer and want to use restrooms locker rooms and showers with those of the same biological sex and so as a practical matter when you've got you know Gavin one or two other transgender students versus dozens and hundreds of other students that are all saying we want our privacy protected. Which is most practical for the school? Well, I think from the school's perspective and from all of the students' perspective, the best solution is let's offer the accommodation to the transgender students or those other handful of students that are uncomfortable with this, and preserve our communal restrooms that society expects, that our students and their parents expect. And those parents do have a say in all of this. They're the ones that are raising and directing the upbringing of their kids, which is also constitutional right. I would add, and so I would say as Josh's perspective is let's offer the accommodation to one group i think the school's perspective and the parents' perspective would say no let's preserve communal restrooms on the basis of sex because that makes most sense based upon the numbers involved and, and society's expectations around this
1: uh great um Josh what is your response to Matt's practical objection he says in, in practice many many ki- too many kids are going to want to use their biologically sex assigned restroom to make this uh, alternative practical, and also, what about showers? Judge Niemeyer said the same logic absolutely would require uh, people uh, to use whichever showers they gender identify with. Would schools have to create uh, private showers for students who didn't uh, weren 't comfortable with that solution as well?
0: Sure, i 'd be happy to answer those questions and i 'd also um, like to address this issue of the the case law regarding privacy as well um, in terms of this practical objection. These policies exist in school districts across the country. They've existed for years in in places from Los Angeles to Kentucky. There has never, ever been a practical problem with implementing these policies. There's no mass walkouts of students. There was no walkout of students in in, in Gloucester High School. Um, and so I think these, these uh, alleged practical concerns that have never arisen uh, aren't really borne out by the facts. But I think one thing that, uh, that this argument ignores is the immense difference in terms of stigma and harm between telling someone if you want more privacy, you're welcome to use a separate facility and telling someone that there's something so um, objectionable and freakish about you that you have to use a whole separate rat restroom. That by the way in Gloucester this restroom for Gavin it was the converted utility closet. Uh, there are m- mountains and mountains of, of studies talking about the harm that these sorts of policies impose on transgender kids. About half of all transgender kids attempt suicide before the age of 20 and all the medical evidence, all the psychological standards of care say that um, these sorts of policies um, inflict real and lifelong harm on these kids. You don't inflict real and lifelong harm on anyone else by saying uh, you have the option to use a separate facility. And so, so I think that um, it's important not to lose, lose sight of that, that key difference. Um, in, in terms of um, these, these, this case law, uh, there's a couple things to note. The first is all of the privacy rights um, in that case law involve nudity. Uh, We can talk about showers in a second, but um, there is, if you're using the restroom (laughs) in an appropriate fashion, uh, there is no concern of nudity whatsoever. So if if this comes down to nudity, then let's take the bathrooms out of it and let Gavin go pee just like anybody else. Um, But second of all... Uh, the remedy in all those cases is that if you object to being strip searched by someone of the opposite sex, you can opt out and request a more private accommodation. <laughs> so, so the remedy in these, in these cases is precisely the type of privacy accommodation um, that, uh, that we're saying schools can and should make available for, for any objecting student. Now in terms of showers and locker rooms, you asked would this require schools to make separate showers? In Virginia the the Virginia Department of Education already has guidelines on the construction of locker rooms requiring um, separate private shower areas for anyone who wants them Uh, in fact at the school board meeting um, one of the school board members said there's no water running in the locker rooms at uh, Gloucester High School the showers don't even work and uh, and I think um, on top of that even in locker rooms where showers do work I think it's important to understand the difference between uh, how people over 30, 40, 50, 60 might have used uh, locker rooms back in the day and what uh, teenage kids uh, generally uh, are doing when they're changing for gym class. This is not an age group in which a lot of people like um, uh, being nude to begin with. Um, and there's plenty of privacy, uh, you know, curtains and protections and in tri- in private areas for anyone um, to want their own privacy. So, you know, I-, I think that, you know, these sorts of concerns about a-, a trans kid are really no different than for any other kid. And I think it's important to think about w- w- what is the privacy objection here? Is the objection to being, you know, in a state of undress? Well, you can. Use a private uh, curtain or, or changing area to prevent that from happening. Is the problem um, seeing a transgender kid undressed? Well, you know, for the most part, these are kids who are, find this part of their anatomy to be deeply shameful and something that should never have been there. Um, th- this isn't—I don't think—that's actually a, 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 a well-founded concern at all. And if the concern is that the idea that you would be in the locker room with someone who was assigned a different sex at birth than you, you know, I, I don't see how that's any different than being, you know, concerned that someone uh, who's, who's gay is in the locker room with you. Um, and, and in fact, many, you know, transgender people, you know, are, are, are straight. So uh, I, I, even that concern probably wouldn't apply. So I, I think once you actually drill down to what is actually concerning people, there really is, you know, no... They're there.
1: Great. Uh, Well, Matt, please feel free to take a final note on the privacy question, uh, raising any responses you like. And then I'd like you to turn to a legal response that Josh had raised earlier. He basically said this case doesn't just turn on this 2015 Department of Education memo, that there are a whole bunch of lower court cases as well as Supreme Court cases that define discrimination on the basis of sex uh, to prohibit discrimination on the basis of gender stereotyping, seeming to suggest that even without that 2015 memo, uh, schools are not permitted to make gender stereotypes. And I'd like you to address that uh, point.
2: Absolutely. So hitting on the privacy aspect and whatnot, this is something the courts have ruled on in a variety of cases. And so there, there's several um, that we actually even discussed in our amicus brief we filed in the Gloucester case, Discussing situations where employers had uh, females cleaning the men's restroom and talked about the discomfort and invasion of privacy that would happen for a female to walk on a male, even if he was in a stall. Even I think when the court talked about um, the, the mere act of, of knocking on the restroom door causes fear and apprehension. So, again, this is something we're not making up, but the courts have long recognized that that privacy right is violated by members of the opposite sex having access to these restrooms, locker room facilities, et cetera. And I thought you brought up a great point that the the implications of what um, this decision could potentially mean do impact not just restrooms, but shower facilities, dormitories with communal restrooms. We even uh, have talked to some parents where schools have overnight trips uh, that where they go, you know, and have students rooming together in hotel rooms. And so now you've got students sharing the same beds, the same bathrooms and whatnot. And a lot of students or parents are saying, look, we're, we're uncomfortable and it violates our privacy when we are forced by these school policies and, and these bad court decisions to share those intimate and private facilities with someone of the opposite sex because of those anatomical differences that the courts have recognized provides a basis and justification for having separate facilities and dormitories and et cetera for men and women through all of this. So I'm always troubled when I hear the importance of privacy being undermined because what this ultimately leads to is, is a society where privacy doesn't matter anymore, where students are told if you're uncomfortable using a shower next to someone of the opposite biological sex then something's wrong with you. Your sense of modesty is, is out of whack. You need to go to a private area or something like that. Now, turning toward the, the gender stereotype and the Price Waterhouse uh, and, and cases and whatnot, um, I, I don't think those go as far as, as Josh and, and others argue that they do. What those deal with is, is situations where, as, as Josh did accurately describe, a, a female was insufficiently feminine uh, and so was denied a promotion. So I apply that to a case like the one in Gloucester or any school district and it would be a scenario like this. You've got a, uh, a, a athlete uh, or a guy wanting to try out for their football team or something like that and the coach says hey you know what uh, Johnny uh, you're not sufficiently manly enough to be on the football team you know you do whatever and denied him a spot on the team or said you know what you're you're, you're too girly to be here using the man's restroom um, you got to go somewhere else. That would be a violation of the Pricewaterhouse line of cases, where you've got a biological male that is being determined to not be sufficiently masculine to plan a sports team or use a facility or something like that. That's not what Gloucester did, and that's not what its policy did. Uh, it was really irrelevant to the school, um, whether Gavin was sufficiently uh, feminine or masculine or anything like that. the The school's policy was blind to how Gavin presented when it comes to gender identity. Rather, the school said we're basing this upon the anatomical, biological differences, um, and all that matters is what are you biologically. If you're biologically a male, these are the facilities we've designated for you your use, or we'll offer you an accommodation. And likewise, if you're biologically a female, these are the facilities, or we'll allow you the single stall restrooms as well. So, Price Waterhouse never dealt with this thing of can a person access. Facilities for the opposite sex. It really dealt with is a person sufficiently um, of acting similar to what his or her biological sex is, and and these employers and whatnot saying no, we don't think you're masculine or feminine enough, consistent with your biological sex. But no courts across the country, nowhere have they ever looked at Title IX and said Title IX requires schools to allow students to use restrooms of the opposite sex. Uh, This Fourth Circuit decision is really an outlier, and you've got several other courts that have rejected the Department of Education's reinterpretation of sex under Title IX to include gender
1: identity. Um, Thanks so much for that. Josh, is it your position and the ACLU's position that this is a constitutional as well as a statutory right? In other words, that the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment prohibits gender stereotyping and therefore also prohibits uh, uh, bathrooms defined on the basis of biological identity?
0: Well, we, act, we absolutely have a constitutional claim, too, and, and plenty of courts have said that the same uh, uh, principles that prohibit uh, sex discrimination against trans people under Title VII and Title IX also prohibit it under the Equal Protection Clause. The 11th Circuit has a, a leading decision uh, based on that. You know, the, and of course, under the Equal Protection Clause, if you have a sex classification, then you need to show that it's uh, substantially related to an important governmental interest, and that includes tailoring. And you know, these sorts of policies aren't tailored policies to respond to specific concerns; they are blanket prohibitions that, no matter what the restroom looks like, no matter what persons involved, no matter what the facts are on the ground, that. The the principal and the superintendent never have the option of allowing a trans boy to use a bathroom consistent with their gender identity. Um, going back to the Title IX claim, which, you know, I, I think is even more straightforward. Uh, I think, you know, one of the problems here is that, you know, that principles of administrative law and how administrative law works. Uh, you know, Matt is citing to some Title VII cases involving Um, bathroom attendance in the early, early 1980s, uh, I would add, um, in which courts found that that, um, sex was a bona fide occupational qualification in those contexts. The drafters of Title IX made a deliberate decision not to include a BFOQ exception in the statute, and when people asked, what about locker rooms, the sponsors of the legislation said... Well, we want the department. At that time, it was um, the Health, Educational, Education, Welfare Department, but now it's the Department of Education. The sponsor said we want the expert agency to make exceptions that are appropriate to handle with those concerns. And uh, some of the um, skeptics of the bill demanded a statutory reference to um, allow schools to have separate dormitory facilities. But of course, you know the plain implication of that is that. If it hadn't been for that statutory exception, the plain text of Title IX prohibits all sex differentiation whatsoever, sports teams, classes, restrooms, dorms, period, unless there's an explicit exception. So the exception created by the Department of Education regulations um, is an agency creation, and under principles of administrative law, you have to defer to an agency's interpretation of its own regulation as long as it's reasonable. Now, if people think that interpretation you know, isn't the best policy choice, the Fourth Circuit said that under principles of administrative law, um, they should be uh, you know, lobby- lobbying the agency to change the policy, they should be voting for a different administration, or Congress can overrule the agency. That's how administrative law works. But it's not set up for courts on their own to make some sort of de novo determination about what the best policy outcome is here. That is something that is through the APA and through the creation of Title IX um, entrusted to this politically accountable agency to be making those decisions in the first instance. So you know, to whatever extent there's a policy disagreement here, um, that doesn't uh, provide a legal defense for the school board. You know, the uh, policy questions are resolved by the agency within that framework. Um, and it's, it's not by the, for the courts to uh, second-guess those policy decisions. Of course, here, the policy decision is completely consistent with the fundamental principles of Title IX, which is to ensure equal educational opportunity for everyone. And what these policies about bathrooms do is they, they essentially uh, expel a transgender student from using the bathroom entirely, uh, they h- try to hold their urine for the day. They get urinary tract infections. It's painful. It's humiliating. And it, it comes down to this. Um, if you're going to have separate restrooms, transgender students need to be able to use them. You have to use one of them. And and just medically uh, and practically, the only way they can actually use one of the restrooms as other kids is if they use ones consistent with their gender identity. Um, and I just want to put in one more plug on this biology uh, point, you know, a transgender, uh, you know, uh, teenager in many situations has been on hormone blockers all their lives. A transgender teenage girl has breasts. They have all the same secondary sex characteristics uh, as their non-transgender peers, and so I, you know, I think if we're looking even at you know external biological things, you know, there, there's there's plenty of biology uh, involved in, in in being transgender. And what I think this really comes down to isn't biology, but it comes down to religion, uh, which is why you see things like Mississippi statute saying people have an absolute right based on their religious beliefs that gender is determined at birth to uh, treat trans people differently than everyone else. And I think you really have a religious and ideological argument masquerading in the form of a biological argument.
1: Interesting. Um... Matt, I'd like you to first focus on the constitutional point and then we'll take up this interesting claim about uh, religion. Uh, The constitutional point, um, Josh has said that he and the ACLU do believe that the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution uh, requires uh, bathrooms to be uh, available on the basis of gender identity rather than biology Uh, What's your response to this claim when the, um, this is consistent with a ruling from 2015 by Judge Jed Rakoff uh, in New York, that transgender people are a quasi-suspect class. In other words, they're entitled to the same degree of constitutional protection as as women, as as gender discrimination. And indeed, when the Equal Rights Amendment was proposed back in the 1970s, critics said, don't ratify it because this will lead to the end of uh, sex-segregated bathrooms. Were those critics correct, and and, and what's your view on all this?
2: Well, I think it's important to start off to note that in the Fourth Circuit and most other courts, they have not recognized gender identity as a suspect class. And so when it comes to the equal protection argument, it really boils down to, is Gavin being treated differently than other biological females? And I think the clear answer is absolutely not. Gavin has the same access to female restrooms or to any of the single stall restrooms available that every other female in the Gloucester School District has. And so the equal protection argument, I think, is um, not a real strong one. And I know that, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I think they're, they're focusing on Title IX is because there, there really is no equal protection, no suspect classification involved here um, to, to really bolster that claim or anything like that. Um, I just want to hear real quick Josh had brought up the point about you know lobbying the agency to change its interpretation and one of the problems I think that the courts um, both the lower court and, and others have noted in all of this is that that never that opportunity for lobbying never was made available the Department of Education didn't go through notice and comment rulemaking they didn't offer the public the opportunity to comment about how it would impact privacy and other concerns Uh, whether it was consistent with Title IX, they issue a letter and then go around the country, start threatening schools with loss of federal funding, enforcing this memo as if it's a binding regulation that's gone through all the proper procedure. I think they ought to open it up. I think they ought to open it up and follow the proper procedure, give notice and comment, give people the opportunity to respond to all of this, but that's never been made available and that's one of the many reasons why the Department of Education's reinterpretation of Title IX should be accorded no deference sex is an unambiguous term in title IX. the drafters knew what it meant when they drafted the law that it referred to the biological differences between males and females uh, and so this isn't one of those that's subject to deference finally um, going to the the religion argument you brought up I think what I've um, seen consistently as we've traveled across the country and we've met with parents and student groups where these have popped up is that this is not a religious issue uh, in fact, I've been in some places where um, the parents were very emphatic and say, look, we're not Christians, we, we don't have any religious belief whatsoever, but we do believe in our kids' right to privacy. It's something that the courts have recognized is not a religious issue. Uh, now, obviously, for some religions it is. Uh, for, for Jews and Muslims and Christians, modesty is a, an important tenet of their faith, but it's also an important belief for people of no faith whatsoever it's something that cr- cuts across political divides republicans and democrats as we've seen in a lot of polling believe that privacy is an important value so this is a a universal principle of protecting modesty protecting privacy when it comes to these intimate settings and whether it's a a person the discomfort that comes from from being forced to partially undress and use the restroom or sharing showers and dormitories and and even hotel rooms That constitutional right to privacy is one that's shared by everybody and that should be protected for everybody. And that's why what Gloucester did of offering Gavin the option of using the restrooms of females or one of the many single-stall restrooms available was a great compromise to give Gavin private safe places to change, use the restroom, et cetera, while also preserving that same privacy right for other students of all faiths or no faith whatsoever.
1: Wonderful. One more uh, beat on this uh, religion uh, argument, and then we're going to move to closing arguments. Um, Josh, uh, Matt says that there is a First Amendment religious freedom interest here. Uh, The writer David French has made a similar argument in the National Review. He argues that the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, by condemning uh, pending proposals like uh, bathroom bills is taking the concept of non-discrimination and establishing it as a form of super law in a preeminent jurisprudential position above even the enumerated lim- liberties of the First Amendment and its free exercise clause. Do you believe, um, Josh, that uh, there will be counterarguments in court that efforts to require bathroom access on the basis of gender identity violate religious freedom rights? And how do you think those arguments will fare?
0: I don't. There, there may well be by, by Matt and others. I, I think those arguments are, are um, frivolous in the context of uh, saying uh, what other students are allowed to use the bathrooms in their, in, in a public school. You know, everyone uh, has a you know First Amendment right to to um, have their own beliefs and to have you know their own privacy in accordance with it, with their beliefs. Um, no one has the right to, uh, you know, inflict discriminatory treatment on someone else, um, at the hands of the government in order to accommodate their religious beliefs. You know, there's been, uh, deeply held religious beliefs, um, you know, regarding, uh, all forms of sex discrimination. I, I think, you know, um, it, uh, someone might be offended by having a, a woman at school dressed immodestly, I, that, that they have to see their bare shoulders or, or their... Or their ankles, but no one has a right to force the school to to make those women you know uh, cover up in order to um, satisfy their own religious um, concerns now i don't doubt for a second that that many people um, are are um, uncertain about what it means to be transgender and 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 might have uh, concerns uh, about encountering something new but uh, And and I think that there's a responsible way to, like, address those concerns and accommodate them. I think that that is different than um, these laws that are being pushed across the country by religious organizations, um, the same religious organizations that, um, you know, a year ago were were pushing these bans on allowing same-sex couples to to marry, um, and with the same sort of, you know, junk science and, and lies about what it means to be transgender. Um, it, that, you know, the, 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 they put up, um, you know, junk science by people who still think that homosexuality should be a mental disorder. So, you know, I think everyone is entitled to their own religious, religious beliefs, but, you know, everyone isn't entitled to their own science. And, you know, the medical consensus among the APA, the AMA, every mainstream medical health organization is that, you know, transgender people um, need to be treated consistently with their gender identity, that uh, being transgender is a real thing. There's a difference between a transgender boy and a girl, uh, excuse me, a, a transgender boy and a, and a girl who wants to you know, pretend to be a boy. There's a difference between a transgender girl and a boy in a dress. And I, I think that you have a lot of fear being stirred up um, based on misrepresentations of what it means to be transgender um, and misrepresentations of the science here. Um, I, I, there is this, it's never clear whether the fear is that, you know, some hypothetical person would be, pretend to be trans or whether the, the objection is to trans people themselves. And, uh, and there's also this implication throughout the briefs that gender identity isn't a real thing. And, like, one day you could say, I'm transgender, and the other day you couldn't. And that, that's just blatantly untrue. Um, In all of these uh, school districts with these policies, with good policies, um, you can get confirmation that someone's gender identity is actually their gender identity. Gavin had a letter from his doctor, uh, you know, confirming that he's a, that he is a transgender boy and should be treated as such. He had a state ID card. Um, And so I think uh, a lot of the objections here come from, you know, thinking uh, that, you know, anyone could just say one day they're transgender and get access to these other spaces. And and th- that's just not true.
1: Matt, last word to you on the substance of this great debate. Uh, do you believe that uh, the First Amendment protections for free exercise of religion are in conflict with requirements that bathrooms be available on uh, the basis of gender identification? And how do you think courts will identify those claims?
2: I, I don't think that there is an inherent conflict between protecting religious liberty in protecting privacy and the issues in this case I think they can all work together that you can recognize that some students do have privacy concerns based on religion other students have privacy concerns based on common sense and modesty and that all of those can be protected and respected while at the same time offering accommodations for any students transgender or otherwise that aren't comfortable with communal restrooms I, I I'm always concern when we get this idea, and I, it is the, the Office of Civil Rights, uh, the their Civil Rights Commission sets up this idea that they live in conflict, and when this conflict occurs, religion must give way to uh, the demands of non-discrimination. I don't think that's the case. I think they can uh, live together, as we have seen in so many places, in schools that have adopted policies identical, identical to Gloucester's policy, uh, that have worked successfully there that have realized that every student has a right to privacy. And so, you know, going back, Josh made a great point. Every, everyone's entitled to their religious beliefs. I think that's something he and I would absolutely agree with. And I, I think we would also agree that everyone's entitled to privacy, and that's what this debate ultimately boils down to. You've got decades and decades and decades of consistent s- Supreme Court and other courts across the country recognizing this right to bodily privacy. And you've now got um, this this outlier court decision that's challenging that, and, and efforts to say, well, that privacy doesn't really matter, that that uh, it's overblown, that um, it just students need to be educated and whatnot. But that is a fundamental right, and it's one that must be protected and preserved. And there's ways that schools can and are compassionately doing that, as the Gloucester district sought to do by allowing Gavin to have every educa- every educational opportunity participate in all the classes, go by his chosen name and has chosen gender identity, but, but had to draw a line when it came to something that would violate the constitutional rights of privacy of other students. The Gloucester School District tried to strike that balance and it, and it wasn't enough. Um, we think that's a good balance and we're hopeful that as this case continues to go on appeal, now that the school district has filed for rehearing on banc, um, that that this will be corrected and that the Department of Education will be reined in and told that they have to follow the same procedures as everyone else if they want to change what Title IX means.
1: Thank you for that. All right, it's time, gentlemen, for closing arguments in this extremely interesting debate. Uh, First, um, to you, Josh, why is this case important and why should our listeners care about it?
0: Well, it's an important case because it's actually the only appellate court decision addressing this issue, uh, and actually far from being an outlier, I think it is the the leading case um, on the topic and um, the only case uh, to address it uh, to address this issue after the Department of Education put out its interpretations but you know more broadly it's an important issue because um, people are um coming to know, uh, you know, trans people in a way that maybe they didn't before. And I think one reason for that is because you have these sort of reactionary laws like in, you know, North Carolina and Mississippi that have forced, you know, real trans people to come forward and say, this is who I am. This This is how these sorts of laws really affect me. Um, and sort of dispel some of the, the these myths about you know, uh, you know grown men dressing up as Hillary Clinton to go into uh, little girls' rooms and as Ted Cruz phrased it. Um, and so I think as ju- just as the country you know became more familiar with with gay people and same sex couples, I think it's going through a similar process here and and this is uh, happens to be one of the first cases in which uh, this issue of sex segregated facilities is coming to the courts. And uh, the Fourth Circuit, uh, I think, made a, a very you know reasonable and, and, and modest uh, decision saying that uh, it's going to defer to the interpretation of the Department of Education of its own regulations and that um, that there's no disagreement um, that having separate restrooms for boys and girls um, is a completely fine thing to do under Title IX. The disagreement is how do you determine you know, whether someone is a boy or a girl for purposes of using those restrooms? And I think that um, anyone who meets Gavin uh, can see that the idea of putting him in the girls' restroom is just ridiculous. Uh, and so if if we are going to have um, you know, a society and a school system in which um, everyone is treated equally, um, regardless of their sex, regardless of whether their sex is different than uh, um, their, if their sex assigned at birth is different than their gender identity, um, and everyone has a full access to all the benefits of education, you're going to have to um, realize um, uh, you're going to have to treat transgender people in accordance with who they really are. Um, And allow them to, you know, use the bathroom at school, just like any other kid is allowed to use the bathroom.
1: Thank you so much for that. Uh, Matt, last word to you. Why is this case important? And why should our listeners care about it?
2: Two reasons. First off, this is about a fundamental right to bodily privacy. It's a right that's predicated on recognizing that there are biological, anatomical differences, and that's okay. Uh, It's the reason we still offer separate sports teams because it actually provides greater equality by allowing girls to have teams dedicated to them where they can excel and thrive and use their talents, and the same thing for guys. It's the reason we have separate locker rooms and showers and restrooms because there are differences, and courts have recognized that it's okay to maintain those, to realize that these differences um, cause sometimes embarrassment and humiliation if if boys were allowed into girls locker rooms and bathrooms and vice versa whether it comes to showering or even kids going through puberty that that's things that we've long recognized are best done with others of the same biological sex that right is being eroded by what the Department of Education is doing of forcing this idea that title IX and its ban on sex discrimination no longer means what everyone has known it meant for forty years what schools across the country have built their facilities based upon an understanding that it meant biological differences. And so they set up different locker rooms and restrooms and whatnot. The second reason this case matters is tied to that, and it is an example of extreme abuse by the federal government of its authority. Here it is coming along, issuing this memo without going through the proper process, respecting the legal requirements that it's supposed to do when it tries to reinterpret and redefine an essential term like sex in Title IX. All of those were disregarded and in a unilateral act it issues this memo redefining sex to now include gender identity. No notice and comment was given, no opportunity for impacted parties to respond and to express their concerns was given, but it was unilaterally done and now the department is traveling around the country threatening schools with losses of hundreds of thousands of dollars of much needed federal funding if they don't comply with this last minute non-binding but apparently enforceable reinterpretation of what Title IX means. Um, This has real impacts and if the Department of Education has authority to now go into each and every local school and dictate what their local bathroom policies are and dictate the extent to which its students have a right to privacy then I'm scared to know what else our Department of Education now has authority to do when it comes to regulating what our Supreme Court has said are local decisions of how our schools are operated and what's in the best interest of students. And so this all boils down to let local schools decide what's best for their students, what best protects their privacy, and just as the Gloucester School District did, be able to enact compassionate compromises that protect everybody's privacy, including Gavin's.
1: Thank you so much, Joshua Block and Matthew Sharp, for a illuminating, vigorous, and truly engaging debate on one of the most hotly contested issues uh, in uh, constitutional and statutory law today. Josh, Matt, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Great discussion.
1: Today's show was engineered by Kevin Kilborn and produced by Nicandro Inachi. Research was provided by Lana Ulrich and Danielle Evans. Get the latest constitutional news and continue the conversation on our Facebook page, Facebook.com forward slash Constitution CTR. And on our Twitter feed, Twitter.com forward slash Constitution CTR. Please subscribe to We the People on iTunes. While you're in the iTunes store, leave us a rating and review. It helps other people discover what we do. Please also subscribe to Live at America's Town Hall, featuring conversations and debates presented here at the Center, across from Independence Hall in beautiful Philadelphia. We, the people, as a member of Slate's Panoply Network, check out all of our sibling podcasts at itunes.com forward slash panoply. And finally, despite our congressional charter, the National Constitution Center is a private nonprofit. We receive little government support, and we rely on the generosity of people across the country who are inspired by our nonpartisan mission of constitutional debate and education. Please consider becoming a member to support our work, including this podcast. And also to learn about our incredible events, you'll get the emails that will tell you about all the phenomenal stuff that's going on. So that's why you should sign up if you haven't already. Visit constitutioncenter.org to learn more. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Jeffrey Rosen.